to figure out my family polygonometry. You probably need a PhD polygonometry. Oh, it's the math of my family tree. The math that leads to my pedigree. Oh, it's the math of my life. Polygonometry. It's finally over. You know what that means? It's time to break out them Cheerios and turn up the volume because you're listening to Polygonometry. This is a sit-down family talkie podcast where each week I sit down with a member of my family and we talk. More specifically, we talk about what it's like growing up in polygamy. And my guest on the show this week is someone that you've probably listened to before if you're a fan of the show. And if this is your first time hearing him, then I hope you enjoy it. He was the guest that was featured on episode two of the podcast. And since then, he has collected his thoughts and said, you know what, I think I have more stuff to say. And I was like, let's hit record, buddy. And that's exactly what we did. Um, Going forward, I really hope that you understand that this episode is going to be a doozy. Uh, It can only be described as aggressively honest to the point where it's embarrassing. Essentially, my guest and I dip our toes into the world of sex and words associated with specific genitalia and what that means, the implications, and all of that stuff. Especially those who are part of the Labans, Gadiantins, Babylonians, and Tiancoms community that have historically been shunned, ousted, and abused within the realm of the AUB and the LDS churches. So, uh, I really hope you enjoy it, and I really dig that you guys are listening. Honestly, I'm blown away. Keep listening if you want to, and if not, more power to you. Hakuna Matata. And I really am stoked for you guys to listen to the episode that I have with my dad's second oldest sister's third oldest son for the second time. Polygonometry. I don't know if you you probably remember thinking about like crazy crazy that Cain managed to survive the flood, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I remember trying to like tr- literally like trying to wrap my head around that going like treading water or did he have his own little raft or was he just protected by God because he wasn't allowed to die? Is that, for some reason I remember that Cain's curse meant that he was supposed to walk the earth for time. Is that it? Something like that. I don't actually know. That's just the meme that's in my head a little bit. I don't know if it's true at all. And by meme, you don't mean actually like, like the Darwinian or the uh, the Dawkins version of the word meme. Not yeah, just the... just an idea, just a <laughs> <No>. <laughs> really simplified idea. Not like some sort of SpongeBob meme or something like that. No, I'm gonna look it up. So, Curse of Cain, um, biblical. Oh, let's see, biblical reference. Um, so the narrative of the Curse of Cain is found in uh, fourth chapter of Genesis. The Curse of Cain and very okay. Um. When Cain spilled his brother's blood, the earth became cursed as soon as the blood hit the ground. That's also something that I have a really hard time kind of wrapping my head around as far as, like, the power of God is concerned. Because, like, I imagine that happening in, like, the same slow-mo. Because my brain works in, like, movies, right? So, like, if that were a movie. <laughs> the slow motion moment right then. Like, yeah, that's the slow motion the moment. The droplet. It's like a small little droplet of blood. You know, splatter, <laughs> and then like, yeah. spoosh, you know, small little sound effect, and then all of a sudden, like the, the shock thunder waves. rolls in, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then that's when the thunder clouds roll in, and then like Kane's just like screaming up in the rain with his shirt off or something, you know, because he decided to give God plants instead of a sheep, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then it's when the blood hits the ground that moment 
that's the time that God chose is just is God trying to just be symbolic in a way? Yes, what did he choose at that moment? Yeah. What read me that scripture again. Okay, so let's see. It's Genesis chapter four through uh eleven through sixteen. Or I just I just don't know anything about like we where the, the where the concepts of like seed of Cain really kind of come from. Gotta go with the King James Version. Okay, so this is 4 through 16. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy, thy brother's blood from thy hand. So biblical literalists hear that first verse, and the earth opened up her mouth, so the earth has a mouth, and received thy brother's blood from thy hand, meaning Cain had like some blood in... Abel or Abel's blood in his hand and just kind of like gave it like a like giving a dog a treat some <laughs> I mean I don't know I don't want to like align myself with biblical literalists okay uh, verse 12 when thou tillest the ground it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength a fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth and Cade said unto the Lord my punishment is greater than I can bear behold thou so Cain's kind of whining that's how I think that some people might think of his situation. It's like, oh, well, Cain shouldn't have killed his brother. Sucks Mm -hmm. to suck, Cain. (laughs) Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth. From thy face I shall be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. What does that mean? So does that mean that he can't die, and he just has to get killed by everybody that finds him? Maybe. I guess so. Okay. And that if he tries to farm, the dirt's not going to be responsive to the farming. Like Okay, that's so that the means punishment. <laughs> yeah, so the curse, it sounds like the curse that the earth got from Cain's oh, hand. Oh, he's saying the earth gets the, that curse, not actually. Well, and then Cain gets the curse as well though. But like the part of Cain's curse is the earth gets cursed as well. Okay, okay. Because Cain had blood in his hand literally and metaphorically depending on who you talk to. He really screwed it up for all of us. I yeah, guess. he really did. Yeah. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. But he went to the land of Nod, so he's like saying yes to everything, probably. Is that what they do in the land of Nod? <laughs> Is Cain now a yes man? I would rather be in the land of shake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really want to know what the mark of a mark upon Cain. So let's look at that. Let's. So God I mean, said a mark. Is, we started off on a real big tangent. Yeah. Okay, mark of Cain. Mark of Cain. A, an omen, a sign, a warning, a remembrance. Oh, and it looks like a pretty cool tattoo. If you ever want to get one of those. <laughs> Uh, okay so the mark of Cain is God's promise to offer Cain divine protection from premature death with the stated purpose of preventing anyone from killing him so he's immortal then Hmm. right is that what that means it seems like that would be what it means say it one more time so the mark of Cain is God's promise to offer Cain divine protection from premature death with the stated purpose of preventing anyone from killing him I think so. I think that's saying he can't die. 
Okay. Yeah, that would suck, wouldn't it? Everyone always talks about like the Fountain of Youth. I mean, you see it in Pirates of the Caribbean movies, like Living yeah, Forever, the, the Wolverine. Idea, yeah, the idea of eternity scares me, for sure. What about it scares you? It's just no end. <laughs> yeah. I was reading I was reading up on it a little bit. I like endings. I don't know. Wrap yeah. it up. <laughs> Constant state of blue balls. <laughs> yeah, just, um uh, and yeah, and just hearing yeah, one friend in particular talk about how he doesn't like the idea of living forever, how that just sounds terrible has definitely influenced me. I'm like, okay. I'm kinda with you. I yeah, want, like I just reading up on it and talking about like human evolution and how that plays into the part. Like, let's just say for argument's sake that you and me from this moment forward are now immortal. Nothing could kill us, right? We can get hit by a train, kind of a Deadpool esque healing factor, X-Men type of idea, Mm -hmm. right? We could literally get torn in half and we would regrow back and be okay. Um, But that means, you know, 50, 100, 200, 1,000 years from now, humans are going to look a little bit different or a lot a bit different depending on how much time we put on it. Um, You know, if evolution favors people to be taller, for instance, right? The average height of a human being has gotten bigger over the course of time. So then you and me are going to be the short dudes, you know, 2,000 years from now. And we're going to have all these scars and like all this different stuff, we're gonna be like these crazy like <laughs> well, urchins. Just probably eventually turn into something horrible. <laughs> yeah, just some crazy feelingless psycho because everybody you've ever known and everything you've ever loved is long dead and gone. And <laughs> yeah, you're not gonna continue looking to fill those holes that you know keep opening right back up. Yeah, it's 60 probably years down the line. I think that's something or, that gets touched on in like, like Logan, right? Of, yeah, it's kind of like we we kind of are the people around us too. Like, yeah, you know, there's there's a there's a Tim that comes out with Chris for sure. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't have other places. Sure, yeah. Like, and there's I, lots I, of, of people where I'm very much that way. Where, it, yeah, I just and if I was just living for ever, I mean, even that living in heaven is a different thing. But living here, of course, on Earth forever doesn't sound good at all yeah it sounds like it would kind of be boring or after a long time yeah and then more than likely like after you, you had totally gone disassociated you, with any emotion yeah because you would you would go through the grieving process let's just say you know you and i are immortal and you know everyone we know and love passes away mm-hmm. right we would get over the grieving process and then more than likely to hang on to some sort of semblance of you know, humanity, we would probably start forming relationships similar to the ones that we used to have. Mm-hmm. And then those people would die. Yep. And you have that for eternity. At some point, you're right. I think it would be just completely devoid of any sort of like trying to pleasure yourself, not in like <laughs> a masturbatory type of way, <laughs> but like you wouldn't find those things to be enjoyable anymore because nothing truly matters to you. No. Because you're living forever. And so that actually, that's kind of interesting thought to have liter- like earthly immortality versus eternity living with god yeah right yeah In definitely heaven. two separate things because i never you know have ever like had any concept in my head of living on this earth for you know of not getting old and dying mm-hmm. where of course i did have the idea that i'd be living in some place for eternity yeah depending on how holy you were yeah i mean usually 
I think for, well, I guess I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, it was just kind of like a gimme, like, oh, I got that. Like, <laughs> you, you so, so you thought that, like, the, he- like, the, the gates of heaven? Like, as a kid, like, yeah, I'll, I'll make it up into that, you know. I'll get into that celestial kingdom. You're pretty confident about getting to God's throne? Oh, yeah, because you're like, you know, you got the perfect dice roll, and you just you happen to be in the small group of a couple thousand people who have the golden ticket to heaven. Got a golden ticket. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, quite literally, a golden t- ticket really, you know, it gets you out of bed. Yeah. You know, according to the movie, Grandpa Joe, the fucker, decides to... He's been bedridden for 45 years or whatever. And then all of a sudden, Get Charlie, golden ticket. <laughs> Charlie gets a golden ticket. And all of a sudden, he's feeling great. He's fucking dancing and singing. Spry? Yeah, he's feeling spry. Even though those bed farts have been under that comforter for 45 years. Are you yeah, kidding me? Hell no. Is a stinky bed. <laughs> a stinky looking bed. They do a good job. <laughs> yeah, they, they nailed it. Yeah, um, golden ticket. But actually, last time when we talked, you asked me like kind of transitioning out of the faith from up here Mm -hmm. and one of the things that um you might moving that mic down a little bit but uh but i remember thinking about uh except it was like you know five thousand people in aub or something maybe more i don't know but as a kid i knew there was a couple thousand i just didn't know how many i knew there was the people in utah and us and Mm -hmm. as whoever else so you know a few thousand people ten thousand and I remember going, man, it's crazy that like just landed in this one group who's who's got it. Like it's crazy that out of all these people, we're the ones. You felt lucky, um, a little bit, but or just kind of like I don't know about lucky, but just like man, it's like feeling like it, it was just crazy the chances of landing there, and it was just like made total sense. Like man, the odds were great. Who'd have thought? <laughs> um, Who would have thought? Out of going, everyone, it was me. You know, because you go, you know. What's the chance that us seven thousand people out of us seven billion people have it right? You know that we we got it dialed in. Yeah. And when I finally flipped that over is when it, you know, was a big part of me losing faith because I've always had that proportion in my head of like that kind of math has always been stuck in my head since Do you I first think, learned it. Okay, so here's a question: going, Do you think that that um that luck idea or that, you know, amazing dice roll that you were talking about. Do you think that, in my opinion, it almost seems as though that, that math that you were doing almost reinforced, reinforced and then strengthened the idea that we were that special, right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I've thought about that too of like, man, and we you- are we are so lucky that we are the ones that have the fullness of the gospel. <laughs> And you just, you know, you're grateful for it because people are usually just grateful in general and they just yeah will attribute that thanks to their culture a lot of time. Yeah. But, yeah, but when I flip that, you know, that of going, now what are the chances that a 7,000 are actually have the right answer mm-hmm. when there's 7 billion people who would choose to differ? <laughs> like Yeah. They got different concepts of what, you know, like, of what could actually be true, because... Yeah. Like, we don't see that, like, we're... I don't know. I have just a vague idea of, like, just roulette tables in my head of... um, Where you have, like, this Christian roulette table, where it's like, you have all of your sections of various Mormonisms, of different Christianities, um, and everybody... It you know who is one of those Mormons Christians 
Like mm-hmm. they're going, they're rolling their dice. They're putting their money on this, that it's going to hit right here. And they don't even think about the fact that there's the Muslim roulette table with its various Muslim places where people are choosing to place their bet. Yeah. And then there's the, you know, Buddhist and East Asian like roulette table with all different people placing their bets. And then there's the hundreds of roulette tables that don't exist anymore of like ancient Greek religions and different other old culture religions that we don't even know about. And then you factor, I mean, that's such a great argument. And there's like just so many roulette tables of people placing bets. And I'm more like, I'm not going to play roulette. <laughs> like, You're going to go shoot craps. Yeah, like, <laughs> You're going to go like hit the slots. Yeah. <laughs> the world is one big casino. <laughs> yeah. And you want, you'd rather be the dealer. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's, yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, or, I think, no, I'm following you. I'm just all hyperbole and nothing. Because <laughs> I also have the idea of like, you know, there's people like to, you know, paint the picture of like you're religious on this side of the fence and like non-religious atheists, they're on the other side of the fence. Uh-oh. And I think of it Talking more, about fences again. I know, get ready. But here, <laughs> <laughs> but I think of it more like uh, there's not, it's not fences. It's that if you zoom up and look down, there's just a bunch of pastures. Some of them are connected and some of them are totally separated. Mm-hmm. And there's a Christian pastor. <laughs> and inside that Christian pastor, you have a bunch of cows, you know, Catholics, Baptists, even, you know, evangelicals, Protestants, all, you know, the hundreds of various Christian pastors and the dozens of Mormon pastors. And same thing, all these different pastors. And people in the pasture are going, think that you're just, that you're in another pasture because you're on the other side of the fence, when in reality, you're just not in a pasture. You're walking around and through them. Yeah. And <laughs> and they all think that you're in one, and you're just circling them, not... You know what I mean? Yeah, I got you. I got you. I follow. Yeah. Again, not trying to be too demeaning or... No, I don't <laughs> think that's demeaning. Down, but these are the uh, metaphors that crop up in my head of... Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to be pastured by a belief system. Pastured. Fenced in. Be pasteurized. Bit. You want to <laughs> pasteurized. <laughs> but yeah, no. You want the whole, you want whole milk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that's a really great idea. I think that's a, that's a good metaphor to use as far as like putting it into perspective in, I mean, cause kind of the main purpose of, of this podcast is to get all those perspectives. And when you are too close to the painting to see the whole picture. That's yeah. another metaphor, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of be, not just being so close to your own, you know, tunnel vision and looking at your section of this giant world painting, and you want to admire and think that all that you see in that small little tunnel is meant for you. You're special. This is your. This is you know everyone who th- sees what I'm seeing. That means it's right and it's beautiful and it's amazing. All this different stuff, but. The reality, at least in my opinion, is that, that that small section is just part of this giant painting that is beautiful and horrible all at the same time, and we're just sitting there watching it, you know? And, yeah, yeah I think that's, it's kind of scary, you know, in a way, but I also think that it's, you know, definitely the way to kind of view the world instead of be so locked in to your pasture or your painting yeah. or your own roulette table. Yeah, and the, the way to find out if you're in a pasture is to see 
if there are places you're not allowed to go. Um, yeah. Are there beliefs you're not allowed to have or change? You know, or think about or or because dance with. Yeah. If you if you go looking and find you know, if you stray into some area of personal belief that that could get you kicked out of your community, you're mm-hmm. you're running into what could be a pasture fence. It's a pretty small one too. Yeah, you know, like what we talk, you know, with Mormonism, it's like if you run in, you know, start considering that Joseph Smith is fallible, you start, that's when you start nudging up against that fence. Mm-hmm. And if you push it far enough, you'll get kicked out, you know, out of the pasture. But yeah, get the hell eventually out. you might find yourself climbing over that fence because the second you go, he is fallible and maybe he wasn't an inspired prophet from God. That's when you start climbing that fence and, you know, there's a sheep reference in there that I think is, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm a sheep is, you know, I'm a sheep too, but yeah, it's, you have to try to not be one. A self-aware sheep. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's a really interesting thing too. And what, what sucks as well is that that locked in thinking, that idea that you are either a part of us or you are not. Um, bleeds into a lot of other things other than just how you feel about eternity and God as well. The example that comes to mind for me is like how you view sex and how, <clears throat> and how like if you if you are homosexual or if you're bisexual or any sort of like whatever, if you are not, you know, living the law of chastity to use, you know, the, the how dogmatic would you describe term, the law of chastity? Well, at least my understanding of it is basically like you only have sex to have kids. And if you're having sex out uh, outside of that purpose, then you are not living the law of chastity. And then if you want to get into the real creepy part, <laughs> the higher law of chastity is you basically report to your bishop when you have sex and <laughs> that kind of thing. I mean, that's my very rudimentary understanding of it because I was, you know, I was five years removed from the religion before I had sex for the first time, you know, and, and that kind of thing. So that's my understanding of it. I'm more than willing to be wrong about it, but that's kind of my interpretation of it. I don't have a clear, that's my understanding as well. I mean, but I didn't grow up with that belief, I guess, that that was the case. I, I grew up with the belief that that was people like taking it too far where the law of chastity should be that you don't have sex till marriage but then once you're married it's your business mm-hmm. um that's kind of how i was felt the about belief it too. that i you know heard from you know my parents and stuff like that but but not like i said there definitely was i don't know how to even think about it now but i think that is more accurate to what the law of chastity actually is is what you said that you know not having sex for pleasure because that's um i don't know succumbing to a temptation for pleasure rather than yeah using sex for its higher purpose of procreation yeah i it just it's really shitty to to put that on people because when you think of like if you want to get into the psychology of it too, and I'm by no means an, an expert in it, but like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. you know, that, that food pyramid type of looking thing where, you know, at the very bottom, you need your physiological needs, food, water, shelter. You know, if you don't have those things, you cannot live 
as a human being, mm-hmm. you know, and depending on which psychological school of thought you subscribe to, sex is either a part of that or if it's, you know, one rung higher, but... Which I would actually, I to me, I'd consider it more on that lower rung. Same of, with me. Like, it is very much a, like, in terms of, like, the physio- like the physiological need to pee. I think that would be on that list of, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you must pee. In the same way, like, when you're a sexual primate, you need to be sexual. Like, it's... Yeah. It's just part, part of being. Yeah, it's it's part. It's an evolutionary need, and it's just part of who we are. And then when you throw dogma into it, and this is not just from Mormonism or from the AUB, it's something that is part of almost every single religion. Of right, like, especially the Abrahamic religions. Yeah, yeah, and like if you don't subscribe to this specific way of having sex, for instance, like back in the day, it was, you know, that's the reason why missionary is called a missionary position, you know? Yeah. And and then when you throw the dogma and the restrictions into it, that is just a one-way fast-track, autobahn, no-cops route, you know, speeding at 100 miles an hour towards, you know, repression and mal I don't, I don't know if malformation is the right word to it but just i guess i would say the drivers that you need to have that high speed mm-hmm. running into repression i think that the dogmas you need are things like sexual thoughts are bad mm-hmm. things like if you masturbate you're sinning yes if you masturbate you are sinning that sex outside of marriage is sinful that um lust of any kind is sinful mm-hmm. and well i think all of those things breed the silence on sex where you just there's no dialogue between parents and kids mm-hmm. and it just leaves you like it it's the fast track to living in like communities where you have no idea what is actually happening with sex because no one talks about it and when no one talks about it, it's complete darkness, radio silence. You do not know what your kids are doing sexually when they don't have the language or the or the example of talking about sex in a reasonable way. Yeah. Um, no, like, that makes total I sense. I think, you know, it it's valuable to allow kids to be able to ask questions like, why is my penis getting hard? Yeah. Why does it feel good when I touch it? Yeah. Like, these are things that, kids encounter with their own body because they're fascinated with their bodies they love poop that makes no sense the same way they're fascinated by the things on their body that feel good yeah i mean it's very freudian for sure and i mean i i knew at a very young age that there were places on my body that weren't supposed to be talked about yeah you just you don't (laughs) speak about you don't question and when you're like I've been sexual my whole life since I was a little boy. I love girls. I, like, yeah. But you don't have, and it just leaves you like when the, your authorities and I don't know what, what's going on with this thing, but like when the authorities around you, you know, your parents, teachers, you know, family, like when you pick up really quickly when you're not supposed to talk about sex as a kid, like. It's something that I don't remember learning because I learned it younger than I can remember. Like, yeah, I 
it was not on the table to talk about those parts of your body. I mean, I have an embarrassing story of I was maybe 12. I don't know if I was that old, but like 11 minimum where I was watching the movie Rat Race and there's some moment in the movie <laughs> where they're in a bathroom and somebody like yells vagina. I don't know. I can't I haven't seen it in years, but okay. there's a moment where there's like people in a bathroom and he like maybe barges in on a stall, vagina. And I didn't know what he he said and I was sitting there like in the living room later that day and I was sitting there going, vagina. And I was just going, what what was he saying? And my sister heard me. She said, hey, what'd you just say? Vagina? She said, don't say that. I'm like, okay. Noted. <laughs> I was, you know, like I said, double digits and I didn't have the word vagina in my vocabulary. It wasn't part of the lexicon at all. I knew the words pussy and puss and it, it was, they were youths I didn't really use but like when you have to try to distinguish like that's the word i knew because all like my entire sexual education was other kids other kids older brothers mm-hmm. like you know popular media movies like it was all just trying to parse together all of these random things that i observed and of course every new thing i learned with sex was like you know sponge just imported you know yeah because you don't know and you're really curious about it because yeah. You're a damn primate. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Dude, um, you know what's crazy? Yeah, I'm just like, when you don't know the language even, like, <laughs> when you don't know the language, you're not going to be able to talk about abuse. Like, no. kids and have that, to have the language to protect themselves no, from that's, abuse. That's a very, very important thing to think about and to have as part of your parenting strategy. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually a, it's a proven fact that if you don't use nicknames for body parts, that your kids are less likely to be abused. Yeah, it's a powerful thing. If a little girl can say, no, do not touch my vagina, that is a powerful stopper mm-hmm. to sexual abuse. If she has the language and the know-how to go, people aren't allowed to touch my vagina. My mom and dad told me that. And I yeah. can tell people no if they try to. Yep. That is a powerful tool to give them in their toolkit of protecting themselves. Yeah, and and like you were saying, is like we didn't have those like those words to use at least for our generation. It's getting better, in my opinion. Yeah, but like, is. but it's the same thing. Like if you call a vagina, you know, a hoo ha or a cookie, a cookie, or you know, and we hear stories of the little girls coming to their teachers saying, "Yeah, like, that a man's touching their cookie," and Teachers not being able to interpret those things, and but and then weeks later realize oh what they got yeah. told oh whoops drop the ball on that one, but like if you eliminate the nicknames if you eliminate you know tallywhacker and the taboo on talking about it yep and even thinking about it then that eliminates you know like you were saying a very powerful stopper and then on top of that too. If you removed cookie or hoo-ha or whatever, I mean, there's so many different nicknames for whatever genitalia. Um, And if they're reporting to a detective, the detective doesn't have to think, okay, so what does cookie mean? Does it mean like, you know, the waistline or something like that or whatever, Mm -hmm. or, you know, their buttocks or something like that. It's like, no, that old man touched me in my vagina. There is no cloudiness. There is no room for interpretation on that because it is a scientific thing. So the more scientific you stay with your parenting, I mean, I know my like my sister, the way that she raises her kids is like that. Is like, no, 
A penis is a penis. A vagina is a vagina. We, it's, it's we don't part call of, it anything else. And, and there's no just, shame behind and that. And it's just a part of your body. Yeah. It's they, like, they itch. Like, yeah. It's, it's the way it is. Yeah. And that's great. And so that's so much better, in my opinion, than being in this dark, weird spot. And speaking of being in the dark, dude, <laughs> this is also kind of embarrassing. It wasn't until I was 11 years old that I realized that women don't shave their boobs. <laughs> How did you get that? I don't know where I heard it. I don't know what caused that. But it wasn't until I was 11 that I realized, huh, they probably don't. I think it was like some cousin or something like that that said like, no, that's the way it is. Right? And so when you look at like, and then you watch TV or whatever, and you see, you know, a scantily clad woman who's in a bikini or something like that. It's like, man, she had to do a lot of time. She had to probably spend a lot of time shaving her boobs <laughs> in order to look that, you know, slick. <laughs> but it wasn't, I think the reason why, or how I figured out is that like, you know, when my dad would shave his face, not his boobs, but his his face, is that like as it grew back, there was like stubble or at least, you know, the five o'clock shadow, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And women never had five o'clock shadow on their boobs. <laughs> then it was like, Hmm, that, hmm, that doesn't add up. And then I like literally looked into it as in grabbed an encyclopedia and like did some like digging, like an archaeologist to figure out that like, oh, well, you know what? Women don't shave their boobs because I was like, you know, the idea of like pubic hair. And you you lump in body parts that shouldn't be touched as genitalia. And yeah, I definitely did not understand pubic hair. Yeah. I mean, granted, I don't know how you necessarily get into it with a kid about pubic hair, but but still, just no. Yeah. I just, as I look back at my young self, I just am like, I didn't know how in the dark <laughs> I was on, like, sex and sexuality and how to think, of, you know, or even what to think about it at all is just darkness and when you it's just and it's the scary part about a scary thing in Pinesdale is that there is a lot of there's been a lot of sexual abuse and it's the way I view it is that I credit it to the like the views on sex the inability to talk about it and and to tell people that if they do think about it it's just evidence of them succumbing to temptations from the devil like, mm-hmm. and it really puts you individually in this process of like sexual lust because you're just normal and sexual. And then you go, you know, you chastise yourself and shame yourself for being so weak and succumbing to those sexual thoughts. Mm-hmm. And then it's just wash, rinse, repeat of failing and shame. Yeah. And then you, and you, you don't talk about it at all with anybody. And I think that's common too. I mean, well, I mean, it's not common. Well, it depends on who you. It's it's very much a Christian. Well, I mean, you large of, thing. But you think of like the Catholic here, Church. It, here is just awful. Yeah, Catholic Church is like it's, it's in same, the dark. It's the same idea as like how I mean I'm not Catholic and I've I, I mean I've been to Mass. I went to a private Catholic university, mm-hmm. but the stories and thoughts and opinions and feelings surrounding sex and how that develops and the birds and the bees talk and all that different stuff. It's very parallel. There's a lot of parallels to 
um, the way that Catholics view sex versus the way that, you know, fundamentalist Mormons view sex. I mean, there's a lot yeah, of things sure. that are different, for sure. But, but when same, you have, like, like the prominence think, of priests molesting altar boys, it stems from that same idea of repression and shame surrounding sex breeds malformations in the development of your sexual um, preferences, yeah, maybe. And, and the way you interact sexually with with the people world, and, yeah. the world at large, yeah, you know, with whether it's with yourself or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and you think of you know sexual crimes that are committed, and not just from the Catholic Church or in the AUB, but like serial killers as well, have also, by and large, come from very repressed upbringings, mm-hmm. and you think of like the BTK killer or something like that, you know, like. That dude was wild. Jeffrey Dahmer. I where, mean, where did BTK, what did he grow up in? I, I can't remember. We can look it up really quick. Let's get into more tangents. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I think it, to me, is the most, uh, like, it's the one subject that is probably the most personal to me is the way we grew up thinking about sexuality. Is something You would that say I, that is, like, the most personal part of... Yeah, it's the one thing where I get... Like, that gets me emotional and angry, where it's just ass backwards, and people, again, they're stuck in a pasture where you're not allowed to start thinking openly and coherently about sex, and you're just stuck in a pasture where you can't talk about it, and when you can't talk about it, it leads to bad things. You, When girls can't talk about the abuses they've taken, you know, that have happened to them, or boys, but when kids can't talk about the abuses that happen to them, you just, you're in the dark. You have no idea what's happening around you. You don't know mm-hmm. who's getting abused. If they're getting abused, there's just no framework to help people not be victimized. And also, it it also leaves people victim to becoming predators, too, where they also don't, you know, because often predators have been prey. And yep. It's a propagating, it's a self-sustaining when, idea. When you, as a young kid, think it's normal for your older brother to, you know, molest you, mm-hmm. it is therefore normal to you to molest your younger siblings. Like, that's, it's just like, well, it's normally, it's the same way siblings kind of bully each other and will do things that have been done to them. It's a pretty normal thing, and yeah. when the norm is... Don't talk about sex, but also you're getting molested. Like, that's the norm. So, and it just shifts down to your younger siblings as you become the predator. And it, like, there's there's something to be said about protecting kids from becoming predators, too, because that is a thing. A lot of people don't like to think about it or talk about it, but it is a thing that you protect, especially boys, is protecting them from having opportunities to become to do something that they don't understand the repercussions of and the consequences yeah, of entirely. And, and it's not so much of, like of not having thirteen year old boys babysitting. Yeah, that's definitely a bad deal. In general, just isn't a good idea. And it seems like if you can get boys through their adolescence without doing those kind of terrible things, you're off to a much better chance of them not doing things later in life too. Yeah, I mean there's so much that goes into it. It's not just protecting them from those opportunities, you know, that kind of 
lends to the idea that like it's, boys it's are opportun- inherently sexual predators, but there has to be like what we talked about is like you start off from a very as as young as you can get with the idea of like don't call penises tallywhackers or tails or whatever. I, and, I mean, I'm okay calling them those things like. As well as calling it a penis. Yeah. Like, you call it a penis and a tallywhacker and a wiener, that's okay. Yeah. But the word penis needs to be in the vocabulary, too. Most importantly, penis needs to be in there. And the understanding that a tallywhacker or a wiener or a a penis penis (laughs) is synonymous with each other, Yeah. right? And being able to educate, like, hey, you don't get to touch anyone else's wiener, tallywhacker. Absolutely. You know? That that's a, and, something kids need to be told, yeah, explicitly, and that needs to be along with rescinding and preventing opportunities for them to experiment. Like the babysitting example is really great. Um, yeah, because I mean, kids they push limits and they they're exploring and they explore, and sex is just weird. It is weird. It takes it's just a long process to develop, mm-hmm. and yeah, you you have to. I mean, if you have a thirteen-year-old boy babysitting young kids again and it and it's not like necessarily like just a broad paintbrush of like no 13 year old boys ever is allowed to you know um babysit or anything like that but Mm -hmm. like especially with young boys with girls just younger than them yep and just girls in general you just want to avoid that dynamic in in a day but that's not even the most important part it's just when kids can't talk and adults can't talk either because we there's a long sad history in Pinesdale of adults hearing and knowing of abuse happening and not coming forward to talk about it and part of that stems from the inability to talk about it the language the is, shame involved in talking is, about those things is yeah cuz part of protecting kids like is going hey your son was over at my house today and he did something weird um you know like you know like talking if some kid was to you know pull his penis out at your kid's house and be weird like you tell their parents about it because that's what a responsible adult should do but in a place where sex is just so demonized and like it doesn't exist like it shouldn't exist unless you're with your married partner mm-hmm. like or your other married partner or your other married partner yes <laughs> <laughs> like just acting as though it just doesn't exist and it'll all be good as long as you just wait. Don't do anything until you get married and all will be well. Yeah. Like, that's not the best way to go about it. Because no. Because it's just so... And there are... I mean, I've interacted with men who have been bishops before, who have been candid with me about the types of things. And they obviously made sure to not divulge any names or personal information. Um, but just lending the idea to... It's really shitty, but there's a lot of marriage counseling that comes with being a bishop in a polygamist, fundamentalist, religious group. And that and brings most up a whole another issue of where you should be getting your therapy and in, and mm-hmm. advice from. From untrained, unlicensed bishops who they themselves are more than likely a part of a polygamous situation, mm-hmm. who more than likely have their own trauma involved, who more than likely have wives who almost undoubtedly have gone through some sort of sexual aggression, you know, towards Mm -hmm. themselves. And so when you have, it's just this echo chamber that just revolves around this shame and idea of like, yeah, you should probably shouldn't be doing that to your wife if she doesn't like it, you know? 
but then also, and there's so, dude, there's so much that goes into this <laughs> of like the patriarchal idea that like women can't hold the priesthood, you know, using biblical, whether you believe it or not. Well, using, we get the priesthood, they can have babies. Yeah. So it's even. And that, like, right, that, that's clear. Like, your highest calling as a woman is marrying a man with a priesthood. And, and bringing, you know, bringing new life onto the planet. That's the. It's extremely misogynistic. Yeah. And so when you have, you know, men who grew up in a misogynistic, you know, belief system and women, that there's just an unbelievable weight on the shoulders of women specifically, in my opinion, that have gone through so much and that talking about it is unladylike or uncouth and shameful, mm-hmm. then it just is the best breeding ground, no pun intended, to the worst possible shit. Yeah, you know exactly. And it's it sucks when, you know, like the only chance of bringing light to any kind of, to ending the sexual repression and just thumb on your soul of don't think about it, don't do it, mm-hmm. that you you grow up with. And then as an adult, you're like, I guess I'm kind of straying off my own thoughts. Um, Did you sorry. lose it? A little bit, but I'm... It's okay. I have another, th- uh, like I have another said, thing that I want to talk about. It's really you... far-reaching, because okay. I'd say, to me, it all boils down to language the only thing we ha- tool we have to turn the lights on to know what is happening in the sexual lives most importantly of our children because it's all it all starts there is mm-hmm. how and the th- all of us who grew up here more or less have a pretty similar childhood concept of sex of it's bad don't talk about it don't do it which makes it really funny to joke about but <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah and it's just the lights are off when nobody can talk about it and have any kind of reasonable discussion about it and also having massively skewed ideas of what is normal mm-hmm. sexually. Yeah. Like everybody's in their own head thinking that they are just this sex addicted animal Dude, who succumbs to failure I, every time they masturbate. Like, oh my God, I can't begin kind to tell of, you how many times that kind of thing it's just not Festers. Good. I remember, and I know that you've felt this way too, just because we've talked about it previously, but like there have been so many Sundays where after or during church or priesthood meeting or whatever meeting, mm-hmm. you hear the men that you respect, the high-ranking priesthood leaders, you know, uh, council members, apostles, I'll tell your you dad. what they say. All right. You're they probably going to put words they in my say, mouth for sure. Yep. Go for it. What's important it's not about what you do in front of people. It's what you do behind closed doors by yourself. Dude, that's you what matters. That's, that's exactly what I was going to That's what <laughs> defines a man. You know, that's yep. That's how you show your true colors to the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's what you do in private with your privates. Right, so you'd, ha- you'd hear that on Sunday. Yep, you'd hear that on Sundays. And I can't begin to tell you how many times I have sat there and been like, you know what, I'm done. I'm done masturbating. I don't Same. need it, man. I'm done. I'm above this. I'm a, I'm a pious, religious, you know, I, I follow the Lord's commandments because that's what he wants for me and that's what I want for me too. And I want to live up to him. And then that 
afternoon, I find my own self-seclusion and like everyone's taking their Sunday nap and I'm like, everyone's asleep. Here we go. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even last three hours after that meeting Dude, that's before you masturbate again. Yeah, I've you lived know, through that story quite, I mean, hundreds of times. I would, yeah. I would actually say every Sunday. I don't think there was a single time like through an entire church meeting where I didn't think about my horrible masturbation habit that, that I just could not overcome. When in reality, I was just a young boy who needed to be told like, yeah, dude, it's okay to masturbate. It feels good. Like, you know, avoid the porn. Like if you need to do it, like go take care of it. Like don't make a, a big deal out of this normal human thing, like, because it is bursting out of you. Like, <laughs> and I mean that it was, it was bursting. That's <laughs> like, maybe that it was bursting no, out. I know of, what you mean, like, but it's my also funny. Sexual urges were bursting through me before any kind of fluids were boosted, bursting yeah. out. Like it was, I mean, like I said, it's just, I've been fascinated with sex since I was a little boy. I've yeah. Just like, yeah. And that's fine. And like, it would have been, I would have had a much, much less stressful and self-hate-filled adolescence if I had been told that, hey, that's normal. Mm-hmm. It's part of just being a human yep. and a, and being a boy. Like, it just, it happens. And sometimes it's okay to actually go masturbate before a big decision. Like, that's okay. <laughs> Dude, to, that's, that's okay to tell young boys, too. Like, hey. Post-nut clarity is the most clear. Well, it's it's real. <laughs> it's crystal one. clear. Like it's yeah, it's real and it's just like and then of course girls kind of have a whole different oh, special dude, kind of I can't even begin like to real cuz boy, boys at least will break free and like we can at least kind of talk about masturbation between ourselves with our peers mm-hmm. some but I don't know if girls that barrier I think breaks later in their life where they're not quite like middle school girls talking about masturbation I don't think is something that happens for them even though many of them are in the same boat of I like think it does being very sexual and having you know strong sexual urges that yeah I think it does I in my opinion I do think that like and I <laughs> this is a very like yeah here's what I think girls do <laughs> idea but I know that the shame involved talking about things. I mean, I don't know what it was like for you, but growing up, like talking about masturbation and stuff with your friends on a camping trip or on a hike or something like that. I had a really hard time, no pun intended, (laughs) talking about that stuff, even though it was like one of those things that I knew I needed to talk about just because it was like boiling up and like, I would joke about it. I, I remember. And that was the way that I talked about it too. Is I remember lying about it constantly (laughs) about how much I actually masturbated. So it was like, yeah, I was masturbating every day. Oh yeah. Like every week or so. No. (laughs) Every day. It was. Yeah. And just like, yeah. And then, and it, and it turns into like you think that you're a sex addict, yeah, like, big time. You I think thought that you're a sex of myself addict. as well. And it actually like expresses itself looking like a sex addiction too. Mm-hmm. Like because you begin to self isolate in order to do it, seeking isolation. That's a huge indicator. Yeah, and where it's just like it getting away, it getting in the way of your personal life. Yep, yep, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it just. It's not practical to tell, to act as though sexuality isn't part of being a human, because it just is. It, it just is. 100% is. And then, 
when you add in the complications of what is acceptable sex and what is abominable sex, like homosexuality is an abomination before God. I mean, that's, that's what that's the that's what we were taught. Well, that's the words in the Bible. Yeah. Well, <laughs> a man who's it's up for interpretation. I don't. But but the one I can't remember the actual verse. But talking about homosexuality is should a man touch a man as he does a woman, he shall be an abomination before the Lord God, or something like that. And right, we're going to look up biblical evidence. I can't even imagine being like, like being a young kid who, who like instinctually, like they are very much attracted to the same sex or both sexes, but like trying to broach that idea of being attracted to the same sex. Mm-hmm. In, in the in a you know Mormon culture like that is just it is wrong, and it's like, well, and, and when people act like the solution is just like, well, yeah, God made you that way, but don't you just don't have to act on it. No, you can be gay, just don't do gay things. Yeah, like, that is such bullshit. And, and like, what's crazy when, is that when the, the, they're being gay. That is just them. That is who they are. They were born that way, and that's great. And it's I like, think that's awesome. You, you express your sexuality with the person you want and how you want. Yes. And they will do the same. Yeah. As long as they're consenting adults, we're in the clear. And we... Dude, I'm the same. We'll I'm just agree boat. that kids can't give informed consent because they aren't capable of being informed yet. Because their brains haven't developed. Yes. They it's literally like, lack the structures in their brain biologically and quite literally to be able to understand consequences. And that's not a dig on kids. <laughs> it's like, hey, you fucking stupid. But it's more along the lines of like, I mean, at least in my opinion, like you're, you, you nailed it as far as like informed consent is the biggest priority. Yeah. Regardless of what you do behind your closed doors or open doors, depending on what you're into. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Go for it. Go for it. As and long as anybody who is involved is informed and have signed off, whether it's, quite literally on a dotted line or just yes i agree to this Mm -hmm. it's fine and i think that it i mean the church has quite literally doubled down on their views in sexuality i mean elder oaks dallin h oaks most recently like in you know 2014 or whenever it was when you know same-sex marriage was federally legalized or whenever that was i i feel like an idiot for not knowing the exact time but like the church had to issue another statement of like, no, you can be gay, but just don't do gay things. For the Lord knows what you do behind closed doors. Blah blah yeah, blah. And it's like, it's ridiculous. It, it is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. If you're gonna, it's just, and the, just the arrogance of, and it just, why would you want to impede someone else from being able to just express themselves sexually? Like, you, it, to me again, it boils down to people don't exactly choose what gets their rocks off, like. <laughs> and yeah, we like if you, you can whatever it is that gets your rocks off. If it's with an informed, consenting person, mm-hmm. that's that. Yeah, and again, we draw the distinction between informed, consenting adult and uninformed, who mm. can't consent child. Yeah. So if you, if having sex with kids is what gets your rocks off, hey bud, not a good idea. No, and we should frankly applaud people who have that urge and don't act on it to an extent of and like 
Okay. Endorsing them to go find sexual therapists and seek help and see if they can, you know, work through that. But it, I am most people aren't that. And I am so I am all about pedophiles seeking therapy as opposed to the, seeking yes. their own therapy on a park bench next to a playground. Yes. I would much rather have them being because lying on many, a red couch yeah, they instead don't, of on the park bench. Yes, because they don't, it's, I mean, it, it hits awfully close to home for us of oh what God. Yeah, we don't have people that, will do when they, when they can't talk about sex. You know, and, and what's, what's amazing too, and I've been thinking about this for a long time, is that there has been just, I mean, not so much has been, I mean, there has been, but also continues to be this level of hypocrisy involving the AUB specifically, specifically the AUB's views on pedophilia and how that's not okay when Joseph Smith literally married a 14-year-old, right? Okay. More than that, one. That, that happened. That is not up for debate anymore. And what's no. so ridiculous is that the LDS church glosses over it, sweeps it under the rug. Dude, there's there are Mormons today, today, that don't believe that Joseph Smith was a polygamist. And oh, that's tons of them. That's cause... not true. Yes. That's just that. That's just not true. He was. And then, thankfully, that is actually one thing we saw more clearly here at home growing up in a polygamist community was like, oh, Joseph Smith, definitely a polygamist, because he definitely was. Yeah. Um, yeah. And... Of so course, in, in regards to yeah. Joseph Smith's, uh, you know, polygamy, we definitely had the fullness of the gospel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just weren't completely honest with him. Like I said, marrying teenage girls, there's, I wish I could remember their names off the top of my head now, but two girls who were orphans, mm-hmm. teenagers, and he adopted them and then married them a few years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's, was, it's not good. It's not good. And then what I was getting to as far as the hypocrisy with pedophilia is that that, you know, in a contemporary sense, is like gay marriage is wrong. Pedophilia is wrong. This is wrong, 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 wrong. But you can marry multiple women and that's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like we, we should have the right to be able to marry the same, you know, for us three women to marry the same man because... That's what we choose to do. And Not so it, much that what we choose to do. That's what the Lord wants. Yeah, that's what the Lord wants. And it, yeah, like, yeah, that's always been a pretty like. It's so hypocritical. Growing up here, opinion. especially of going like, ooh, when you really are like, polygamy is okay, but poly polyamory is not yeah, okay. That's exactly what I was gonna um, say. <laughs> I'm just, like, it's marrying just, multiple women's okay, but if like, a woman wants like, to marry multiple you know, men, I'm, that's wrong. I'm, I'm not gonna go tell women in Pinesdale that they can't marry a man with who already is married. I'm like, okay, you can do that. I'm not going to tell you you can't, and mm-hmm. I don't want the government to tell you you can't either. Yeah. And to that same token, I'm not going to tell you, Chris, that you can't marry whoever you want. Yeah. Like, if, you, if there's some woman who has a husband and you want to marry her, okay, Chris, that, that is your prerogative. And her and her husband are okay with it? There we go. Yeah. Plain and simple. It's pretty cut and dry. And we and we shouldn't be making moral judgments about people based on how they arrange that part of their life. Yeah. We shouldn't be making judgments based on people's sexual preferences going, saying that one is, you know, wrong and evil and one is 
okay and appropriate. Yeah. When it's they're a, all on an even playing field, there's no one better than another. The only the only thing that's better is consensual versus non-consensual. Yeah. The only sex I'm not a fan of is non yeah. is non-consensual. Yes. <laughs> or if you're like deliberately hurting people. You know, if you were to look But if about, someone wants to be hurt... Look, and, and yeah, yeah. I mean, look, if you're informed and you're consensual, <laughs> that's what yeah. then go for it. Yeah. I'm not... I'm, I'm personally... Me, I'm not a fan of that kind of thing. If you want your dick stepped on with a stiletto yeah, heel that's been there's, sharpened, there's, go there's, for do, it. there's no end of things that do not get my rocks off that I do not want to participate <laughs> in. I mean, there's plenty of disgusting things that I find disgusting... But my disgust isn't evidence of it being immoral. Don't it's just y- evidence that it disgusts me. One of my favorite things, and this really sums up, and this is not an original thought whatsoever, but it really sums up how I personally feel about other people's sexual preferences. He's like, don't yuck someone else's yum. Yes. That's I think that's exactly what I'm saying. I think that's fantastic. Like, like, I personally don't enjoy it. If you are informed and you're consensual, Dude, go buck wild. Go frolic in that pasture, man. Yeah. Well, we don't have like we don't judge people for like you eat, you eat. You know, I don't know. You eat creme brulee. What is wrong with you? (laughs) Like you are disgusting. (laughs) Like we don't have like you know people have a gigantic wide range of food preferences. Like Mm -hmm. that. There's tons of food preferences, insects, and different things where I go yuck. I I don't want any part of that. Yeah. I don't want any of that. Whatever it is, you know. Yeah. But there are other people who go, oh, get that eel. Let me slurp it up. And I'm like, I'm not, you know. or Dude, you have no idea. You know, there's like when you, (laughs) especially when you open the door of seafood, where I didn't grow up with a lot of seafood, I'm a little more tentative as to like. Dude, China, man. Really diving in. And like, yeah, there's, I'm not going to yuck someone else's food yum. I'm not going to be like, you're immoral because you like eating octopus. And I find it absolutely disgusting. And I almost hurl when I try it. Like. I've never actually, I've maybe tried it once. I don't care. But okay, when I was living in China, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, okay. When I was living in China, I tried pig brain. I also tried the vast deference of a pig. The vast deference. <laughs> I know what the vast Okay, you know what the vast deference is. For those who are listening, yes. <laughs> uh, the vast deference, quite literally, is the tube that connects your testicles to your urethra. It's the jizz tube, right? I ate a pig's jizz tube in China, and I tell you what, it's fucking delicious. There you go. Loved it. I also tried pig brain. I had dog, all that different. I had a lot of different things when I was living in China. And most of it, it's all about how you spice it, right? And it's right. The same, in my opinion, it's the same kind of way, too. It's like in regards to sexual preference, and I'm not meaning to objectify any sort of women or men or however you identify as, you know, yeah, you're like food. <laughs> you're like a meat market. <laughs> not at all. What I'm saying is, if you like a certain action or a certain thing, but they don't, maybe spice it a little bit differently, and maybe they'll like it, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that you can play into that, but I'm in the same boat. Like, if you like it, go for it. If you don't, that's fine. As long as, and this is kind of the main point of what we're both trying to get at, and we've also said, is like, if you don't like it, and you want that to have happened to you, whether you like a finger up the ass or not, Ask first before you start poking and prodding. Yeah. And if they say no, you don't do it. No. And again, you spice it up differently if you do want something that 
<laughs> no, I'm just like, like it just, yeah, yeah. And you don't make moral like. It's just crazy to think about making moral judgments on like unchoosable personal preference, like, yeah, you know, I'm I was just born, like, if somebody like, if my wife is into something, I'm into it because she's into it. Like, Hell yeah, and that's pretty <laughs> normal for people. Yeah, and it's like. I, I'm not going to judge other people for being the same way or for being into other, being into whatever they're into sexually. Yeah. Like, it, it's okay to, yeah, to be sexual. Yeah, it's just a, it's a giant mess when you look at the dogma and when you look at, like, how, I mean, the Mormon church, when California was passing, um, this is when uh, Monson was still church president. Mm-hmm. Um, when California was trying to pass, I think it was Prop 8. I might be wrong about the specifics. But when California was kind of like, you know, leading the charge as far as like sexual, you know, equality. Mm -hmm. um, The church had to like... Marriage equality? Yeah, marriage equality. Um, The LDS church was kind of at the forefront of the opposite side of like, no. Financially, they were on the opposite side. And that's what I mean. Is it like... I mean, Thomas S. Monson... They made said, it quite clear with the money they spent. Yeah, exactly. Trying to like fund the 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 fight and, against yeah the campaign against marriage equality. Marriage equality. And Thomas S. Monson said in church, "We will be victorious." I think that's the that's the literal, like what like the literal quote of what he said. I mean, I could be wrong about that, but like he said, "We will not be defeated." I think that's what it was. But that is a very glaring not so much glaring but a very cut and dry example of what the church feels about homosexuality and then you have that against the the idea of like yeah you can be gay but you don't do gay things like how can you how can you <laughs> how can you be gay and not do gay things well it, it, or how that, can you be straight and not do straight things that's exactly what i was gonna say yeah that's the that's, most ridiculous unbelievably stupid idea of how to approach that situation in my opinion completely and people are just they're far better off and happier and less stressed when they can just be the sexual person that they are and not have to hide it not have to act as though it's wrong like Mm -hmm. and dude I, i i know i've told you this story before but uh when i was living in salt lake city um i was doing stand up and uh, one of the comedians that I was hanging out with was uh, was gay, and we hung out at the bar after the open mic, and I was feeling good. I was kind of being daring in a certain sense of like really trying to get to the bottom of of this uh, dude's idea of like gay sex. And I know that getting to the bottom of it is a very great <laughs> it's a <laughs> it's a ridiculous pun, but um, yeah, what did he? Have I to say? asked him. Um, out of every 10 dudes that he hooks up with, how many are gay or mar- how many are married Mormons, married Mormon men. And he said, if I'm trying to get real slutty and he was, I mean, he was the most confident gay dude I've ever met in my life. Really awesome guy. Uh, he puts the grind and grinder. He put the grind and grinder. If he was grinding, <laughs> if he was like nose to the grindstone, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He said, and he, he, what's so amazing is that he had to think about it. He was like, hmm. He really put thought into it. Yeah, it wasn't something he's never done before. Yeah. He was like, oh, well, if I'm really trying to slut it up, I would say maybe seven. 
Dude, seventy percent. Let's say he's exaggerating, and it's only four. That's like, still an amazing amount of gay married Mormon men who are so deep in the closet that might as well be in Narnia. Yeah, and this one's when you're talking about lights out, no clue what's happening sexually. Yep, there you are. And he told me, <laughs> and these poor men are trapped. Oh, so hard because they have kids. They, they they can't talk to their wife about it. They can't talk to their bishop about it. They can't talk to anybody about it. And but, they've spent a lifetime of trying to pray the gay away and yep. failing and going through all the motions, going on the mission, even getting the girlfriend, just like please God, just you know help. Yep. And and they're they're running. And then before they know it, they have five kids and a wife, and they're you know forty five, and they're an accountant, and they have a grinder account on a separate phone that they purchase without their wife knowing, mm-hmm. and then. They and he, dude, he told me that like there is no sex better than the first time you sleep with a married Mormon man who's in the closet. He's like, dude, <laughs> the floodgates are open, Some man. Savage freedom. Oh man! And you know what? If you are, oh okay, man, I don't know if you're listening. If you are married Mormon and you're in the closet, dude, I hope you find the confidence. And the yeah, be honest. Be honest with yourself, and dude, you gotta talk to your wife and kids, man. (laughs) And you gotta be yourself, bro. But oh, that just at the same time. And there's a few. At the same time, it's so heartbreaking. I empathize so deeply with those. I mean, it's I don't endorse cheating on your wife at all. No, 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 no. It's just there were forces working on those kind of men that really put them in a trap. Yeah. Of, like, it's really hard to break out of the church and be gay. Because the second you're honestly, openly gay, not straight, attracted to men, you just climbed over the pasture fence and you yep. don't get to keep your community. And yep. so, in order to keep your community, you just have to, like, keep hoping that you'll just stop being gay. It's an unbelievably scary situation to be in. Oh, it's horrific. Yeah. And then. Many of these men have probably been through gay conversion therapy, which is proven to be both ineffective and traumatic. Oh, and trying to, trying to take gay people and even from a, convert them back to straight, whatever that even means. Yeah, I mean, it, like clinically and like that's it, what, yeah, clinically it has it, it, no, zero efficacy, and it there's no evidence to support it. And it produces what looks like even more suicide, it more may, depression, more anxiety. Yeah, it's makes it worse. Yeah, he makes it you absolutely actually worse. look at the measuring scales it is not good in no the church. and there's actually been some states still that does have, it yeah and there's been some states that have like Outlawed banned it, you know. yeah like gay conversion therapy like the whole quote you know pray the gay away as it quote. should when you hear individuals talk about the experience of going through that it's, it's heartbreaking oh my god it i can't even imagine is, man it's so sad like it's it's hard enough to think that your your normal sexuality is terrible mm-hmm. let alone your gay sexuality that is like forbidden, bad, evil, corrupt, like it is just the epitome of sin. Yeah. To act on it and to detestable. Even, and to think about it. Like, oh. it That's yeah. so sad and to to know that there are hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of men and women too. I mean, this mm-hmm. is not even this is not even yeah, one side about of it. men, but yeah, about, no, and women too. It's just, like, oh my god, it just sucks so bad 
to, to know that there are so many individuals out there, so many human beings that have value that are in this trap when it comes to Mormonism and and their own personal sexuality and their own personal sexuality and if you're listening if you're one of those people my heart goes out to you yeah it just god damn big time but because the it just exponentially increases the shame mm -hmm. and anxiety around your own sex as a you know, young kid. And you know, there are also some parallels in regards to sexuality with homo, like, I mean, homophobia and, and homosexuality with also like how the church handles men and women who marry or who get married that don't fully understand the scope of their sexual consequences when it comes to getting married. Um, because there are a very large number of men and women who are on their second, third, fourth divorce because they get married because they want to fuck in the church. Oh, there yeah. is there is an example of Big time. And uh, here in the valley there is there's people who are on their third marriage and they're not even 25 that are LDS. Dude. Oh, wow. That is incredible. That is absolutely yeah. incredible to me to think that like okay. Yeah, it Mar like boners don't mean that you're in love. No, but it seems to be that that's kind of the way that it is because your evolutionary need, like what we were talking about earlier, is such an amazingly powerful force within your body. And then you meet that with you can't have sex before you're married. Therefore, you get married to have sex. I feel like I was in that boat a bit of like my getting into you know, dating, you know, same with me. Like same with I've all, I always had that approach with the girls I talk to. Like this is, this isn't like just me having a connection with another person and like hanging out. This is like either I'm interested in marrying you or I'm not. And if I'm not, then that's that. Dude, I it's remember. It's kind of horrible, but, <laughs> but like where it maybe would have been a healthier place to be like, that it's okay to just have a relationship with someone and not be, Complete, you know that it's not a complete one-way track to marriage and children that that it is okay to be with someone for an extended period of time you know as a partner sexually too mm -hmm. like yeah that you have sex with a person for a prolonged amount of time and you're not married to them is okay and yeah. normal and it helps find yourself in how you interact with a relationship too. Well, yeah, and I think it was something that's really important that is never talked about. And this is just not only in LDS or in the LDS church and AUB or whatever church is that you find out not so much what you like, you find out what you don't like. Yeah. That's extremely important and you don't know those things unless you try them. Yeah. Me personally, I'm not into feet. I'm just not I wouldn't have known that had I not tried it. <laughs> <laughs> okay it, and that's fine and it's all good that is totally fine yeah and i mean it, it just sucks as he hear these stories of young men and women who get married because and aren't sexually compatible that aren't sexually compatible and it's just like well how do i balance that life i'm now married well, now i'm calling a lawyer's office and well, i'm you serving and, my you wife's papers wife, yeah you and your wife aren't getting along so you like you know what maybe we should get help Let's call the bishop. Oh. <laughs> and then you talk to a bishop 
who has no training. I mean, actually, the church has done a few moves to, like, help people with, you know, marriage counseling and, like, mm-hmm. giving bishops a little bit of information on the work, what to work with. But, but they're, they're not licensed. They're not trained. No, they're not licensed therapists. They, they're not licensed mental health counselors. They're not licensed no, mental or exactly. marriage family and therapists. They, they're not. They they're, may have done a few seminars in the process of being a bishop at the best, to, you know, a few hours of, of talking and about. And it's not so much the time, but also the experience those, of, those hours that they've spent or those very few hours that they've spent in training have been through the lens of the church's official yeah. opinion on those matters. Yes. And that's bullshit. Well, yeah, having a dude who you're, you, you know, you're bisexual, you're married to a person, doesn't matter what sex you are, but man or woman, you're mm-hmm. bisexual, and you're working, you come clean to your husband about it, mm-hmm. or your wife about it, and you're talking through it, and you go, maybe we should talk to the bishop about it. What kind of information is the bishop going to give you if He's you broach you that subject? He's going to say, you need to repress that part of you and express the straight part of you, um, where an actual marriage counselor would work through it with them mm-hmm. and actually look at how to evaluate their life, not just whatever it takes to get you back into that acceptable box. Yeah. It's so tough yeah, to hear I mean, these stories of, of those those married couples that are going through that. Yeah, and the, it just sucks because the when I talk about pastures, the pasture fences do move slowly where mm-hmm. new ideas are more allowed than they used to be. Like, I mean, it's like what we talked about um, last week where, or, or that last time that we talked is like in 1978, after 130 years of blatant racism, the church is like, well, the, well, God said no. Therefore the fence analogy, the pasture analogy, yeah, pasture that starts fence, to shift. that, you know, that pasture got a little bit bigger to include mm-hmm. more people. Yep. Even though the doctrine didn't change, which we already went through. But yeah. And so in regards to sex, there has been a very, I don't know how to put this, but like it seems as though that when it comes to sex and sexuality, that fence hasn't really moved hardly at all. I think it's it's maybe moved in the way of like a little bit like it's moved better in the direction of your your wives, your women aren't like, chattel to be used for your sex like i think it has moved in in the terms of like if your wife doesn't want it you keep your hands off her kind of thing like that has shifted more but that's been i think united states culture at large too of like what is acceptable behavior between a husband and wife that you can be a husband and rape your wife which happened you know that happens and so the church has moved there but as far as like homosexuality there's it's they're still running with the hate the sin, love the sinner, which is just so disgusting because the sin is part of them. You're just, yeah. you're hating them. Like if someone just constantly, if I just got constantly berated for being with my wife, like that thinking about having sex with her is... Your fence-sitting wife. Is, yeah, my <laughs> fence-sitting wife. Like, it, it just... It's so hypocritical to to act on your sexuality as openly as you like, but to tell other people that they aren't allowed to do the same. Yeah, because they aren't the same as you. It's it's crazy. It's it's absolutely ridiculous in my opinion. Yeah, it, it's, it's a horrible. Coke fan telling people that Pepsi not it's bad, but it's not allowed to be good ever. 
When, that's such an amazing. That's when such it's a like, great point. Some it's people not bad. like Pepsi. Some people like Coke. You might think Pepsi's disgusting and Coke is great, and it's just like it's all subjective. One person's preference is okay because it's their personal preference, and we can't choose, you know, whether we like Coke or Pepsi. It just kind of happens to us. Yeah, and there's not. A, it's not just the Coke or Pepsi. You might like Fanta. You might like Sprite. Yeah. Personally, and I'm so a fan like, of squirt. Fresca? What the fuck is Fresca? Like, <laughs> you're not allowed to go go there. You're either Pepsi or Cola, damn it. Like, yeah. no, just people's preferences are their preferences. And when you talk about, you were saying earlier, our little scope of like, our, we only see our own little scope. And mm-hmm. the scope of sexual preference is bigger than any of us will ever see. I can't no. comprehend I agree the scope of what is possible for people to sexually prefer. I yeah. mean one scroll on a porn site you go you'll see it clearly that you don't have the full scope like all you need to do is hit that categories tab <laughs> just, like, <laughs> there's a lot yes and i think that's so great. wide ranging and things are much healthier when people are allowed at least you know being told that they're allowed to have a preference and mm-hmm. that their preference doesn't speak to their moral character because that's where the harm is done is that your sexual preference is you know proves the flaw in your moral character yeah like it's very damaging to individuals to be told that Mm -hmm. and it yeah there's an easy fix to it and it's to not do that thing no i think what you said earlier was perfect i think you nailed it is that the idea seems to be is like the perspective where it comes to gay marriage or whatever it is, is like, it's not bad, but it's not allowed to be good. Mm-hmm. That's, I think you nailed it with that. I think that's such a, uh, an amazingly hypocritical statement as well as, you know, supremely damaging. Yeah. It's just so. And, and people will fall back to the, well, you know, kids do much better in a, you know, when they have a mother and a father. And what I always go to is like, is it better that, you know, let's take a widow, for example, who has four kids and her husband dies and she's got four young kids who she has to raise. Mm-hmm. And she's in a, in, you know, going through intense depression, anxiety, poverty, all at the same time and having to raise children by herself. Would it be better that she raises those kids by herself or that she had a lesbian partner to help her? Yeah. There we go. I I feel like the evidence is already And the same if if a man loses. uh, But it's just like having two loving adults or three loving adults raise you is a good thing. The more loving adults raising you is a good thing. Yeah. And two men can raise a damn good kid. And two. Absolutely. The same way if someone was like, yeah, my mom died when I was young, just got raised by my dad. We don't go, oh, man, he must be broken and like a flawed raising because he got raised by just his dad. When if he had two dads, we would go, oh, they ruined him. What what yeah. those two dads did to that young boy. It's like, completely what, ridiculous What argument. he thinks is normal now because of them is just so wrong. No, yeah. it's like loving <laughs> parents are a good thing. Absolutely. And regardless of what gender they are yeah. or what proportion I, of the parenting you know, pie chart they take up. Exactly. And I always, that's where I always go is like, would I rather... Would I rather be raised by just my mom who is fighting her own battles of 
you know, mental health and depression because of she lost her spouse mm-hmm. or or just any single parent for that matter. Yeah. Like, we don't we don't say that their kids are bad for it. You know, we don't say the single parent ruined their kids. No. But we'll act as though a gay couple ruins their kid almost or like that they're a bad influence on their kid when it's just loving nurturing adults are a good thing to children. Yeah, it's like saying fire isn't hot. Yeah. It's the same thing. Like it's just it's not factual. It's not real. No, it's re- completely ridiculous and yeah, nobody and how if, people if you put thought into it, structure their family is their business. Like Yeah, and if you put thought into it, it's just not really that hard to re- like delineate between those two ideas of like which one is better. Yeah. Would and, it be better like, to have and only gay one couples person? who want kids usually really want kids and people who really want kids are usually good parents absolutely they're they're not looking forward to damaging children <laughs> no no they just want to do the same thing the rest of us are doing yeah and absolutely. sometimes you know it's not possible for some people to be a man and wife couple because it's just not possible or yeah their sexual the, preference or whatever the same way fine. the same way you know Maybe our dads, it's not possible that they have husbands. Like, it's yeah. just, that's not available for their life. Because and that's all good. they're not interested. Yeah. But if the opposite is true where they can't have, you know, why they just simply can't have a wife because they can't have a loving sexual relationship with that partner, then they don't have a wife and they have a husband. And those two men want kids and they go through all the trouble and money, like the trouble and expense of maybe adopting a kid Mm -hmm. or you know whatever it is like yeah there's just no that just because you're gay doesn't mean that you're a bad parent by any means oh that's a completely ridiculous statement and often they are just the most awesome empathetic people out there i'm in the same boat i've never encountered a gay couple that has been out to ruin their children (laughs) no (laughs) like never once no the same way i've never met any couple do that it's weird how humans who raise kids usually aren't out to destroy them (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's an amazing point